1989, Gillette, a popular razor company you may have heard of, released what would become its second most famous ad and debuted its household slogan, The Best a Man Can Get. Premiering during Super Bowl 23, the commercial was a celebration of men. It features a montage of men, nearly all white, winning at the office, out on the field, and of course with women. This past January, Gillette made an amendment to the iconic ad. Because 30 years out, some things have changed. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? The new ad starts with a series of situations where men, young and old, aren't being, well, their best selves. Bullying each other, mansplaining in the boardroom, sexually harassing women. But then... Halfway through the spot, Gillette changes its tone. They show men breaking up fights between boys and men calling out catcalls and pulling each other aside to talk. The ad becomes about more than critiquing toxic representations of manhood to spotlighting more positive and inspirational images of masculinity. We believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big and small. I am strong. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today. Taking stock of what it means to be a good man today. So, this is great, right? Everybody is talking about Gillette. Everybody. A company supported by men for over a century debuted a new ad crapping all over the very same men. There's this sort of like backlash against being traditionally masculine. And essentially supporting the notion most men are sex crazed, harassing, law breaking bullies. Well, if you're on the right side, you're like, yes, this is great. So let's point out all the bad things that you, that you might say about men, put them into an ad, make men feel horrible, and then say, Pay, overpay for a, a razor. The response was huge and polarizing. A lot of men felt Gillette was blaming all men for what many see as the harmful actions of just a few. But a lot of people, myself included, loved it. It's interesting that seeing men stand up and demand better of each other, that doesn't resonate with these men. Then again, when did people ever like being told what to do? especially by someone trying to sell them a razor. And of course, a PSA can't be expected to solve, let alone explain, a centuries-old problem like patriarchy. But the enormous reaction to it was definitely a good indication of how differently we all see this problem. Since it aired, I've been thinking a lot about what advertising's place in this conversation is and really its role in promoting toxic masculinity over the years. For the last 20 years, I've been a part of the group of creatives that have helped shape the images we think about when we think about men. 
I've created spots that feature funny, adventurous, caring men. And then, well, I've also made my fair share of ads starring guys that can only be described as bumbling and women crazed. Me Too and Time's Up continue to influence the way we think about masculinity and men, and in turn, it's impacting how we represent them. More and more people are pushing back against traditional gender roles and these expectations of what it means to act and look like men. And even on TV and online, there are more complex representations of men than ever, and it runs the gamut from Duck Dynasty to RuPaul's Drag Race. And all of this, it's amazing. But we can't talk about how masculinity has been marketed to us without pulling the curtain back on the workplaces that have helped construct it. Gillette is just one company in a wave lining up to sound off on social issues like toxic masculinity and gender inequality. But here's the thing, it's men and boys who Gillette's ad needed to reach, but nearly all of its detractors were guys. So what are advertisers and brands missing here? And really, is it our job to figure it out? And is the recent trend of companies addressing toxic masculinity superficial? Or are they also taking stock of their own cultures? Today, we're exploring how corporate brands and their PR machines have and continue to transform the way we see, think about, and perform masculinity. I'm your host, Ron Tite, and I'm secure in my masculinity, okay? Okay? This is The Coup. When we talk about masculinity now, we're usually talking about the toxic kind. And just to make sure we're all on the same page here, here's how Dictionary.com defines the term. A cultural concept of manliness that glorifies stoicism, strength, virility, and dominance, and that is socially maladaptive or harmful to mental health. Yeah, so not good. At the beginning of my career, about 20 years ago, my industry was what we would now call blatantly sexist. I mean, the gender roles and stereotypes companies and us advertisers have historically presented to audiences, well, they haven't always been very thoughtful. And that hasn't been without consequence. For millennia, sexism has been ingrained in us men. We were taught a certain way, raised a certain way. We were welcomed into the workforce a certain way. You know, all that. So regardless of how woke some of us guys think we are, it makes sense that we're still getting over all the gender bias and sexism that was socialized into us. As we've been called to reckon with systemic abuse and misogyny by movements like Me Too, companies, including the ones that help paint a regressive picture of men, have gotten in on the conversation. Even if that's meant doing a 180 on their own marketing. And when it comes to stereotypical, reductive representations of men, there's one brand that stands out. Here's a couple of their infamous spots. Well, how can guys clean their balls so that they're more enjoyable to play with? Well, there's finally a tool that can really get the job done. 
The axe detailer. Could play with these balls all day. The boyfriend of a brainy girl. It's act six of a seven hour play in its original language, but does he struggle to stay awake? <laughs> and the award for best guy who's about to get some goes to you. You know, it wasn't too long ago that ads like this got regular airtime. And in my world, reaction to Axe's creative was mixed. They broke the mold when it came to advertising deodorant and body spray. But many didn't love the message that came with the new approach. In 2011, the British Advertising Standards Authority banned six of their ads for being, quote, demeaning and offensive. Recently, Axe debuted their new campaign and slogan, Find Your Magic which included a viral spot showcasing positive expressions of masculinity. Come on, a six-pack? Who needs a six-pack when you got the nose? Or a nose when you got the suit? Now you don't need a suit when you got the moves. Or moves when you got the fire. Or fire. When the ad features a variety of men and boys standing out from voguing in heels to streaking at a protest. So, all's to say, it does not look like Axe's past campaigns, which usually featured a blase, bruh, dude man, who, after using Axe body spray, would always end up with women literally all over him. So this new, more genuine direction is, shall I say, refreshing. But it's one thing for companies to weigh in on an issue when they don't have a track record, but it's another for them to turn around and change their tune after years of regressive marketing that, well, kind of contributed to this whole toxic masculinity problem. So, how and why did this pivot happen? And does Axe regret some of its past messaging now? I got in touch with Pranav Chandan, who leads audience at Unilever for brands including Axe and Dove Men to talk about this tone shift. So I think uh, it started at our end with this campaign last year, Yeah, which is, is it okay for guys, is, is what the campaign is called. And it basically just talks about how guys privately struggle with what society defines as norms of masculinity and uh, gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in this film, we actually brought it alive through uh, actual Google searches that guys do. Is it okay to be skinny? Pass the ball, bro. Oh, no. Is it okay to not like sports? Is it okay to be a virgin? To experiment with other guys? Just kind of reveals how anxious they feel about living up to a certain uh, stereotype of what society has defined for them as the male gender. And that's pressure that ultimately kind of makes them uh, turn towards bullying or depression or even make suicide so common amongst men. That pressure's real. Trust me, I've felt it. The pressure to always be strong and in control, to be aggressively ambitious, to be a ladies' man, ugh. These expectations are ridiculous and harmful for men, and really, I mean, for everyone. So I do appreciate brands like Axe validating this more expansive vision of masculinity. But I am curious if Axe's new creative direction is at least, you know, in part a response to their original advertising. Is it, is it like, was it, oh, here's an opportunity or is it, uh oh, we were doing it wrong. Like for the previous work that we've done, was that what it was or what? Well, I don't it? think it's, uh, I think we've been with the guy for the last 30 years now. 
Yeah. And uh, we have always been culturally very relevant to the guy throughout. And as this masculinity evolves, uh, we are we have kind of got a brand products and marketing to reflect that uh, by shifting from the axe effect to find your magic. Yeah. And this find your magic actually focuses on confidence through embracing one's individuality and self-expression. And that's what this is all about. I guess it's this ongoing debate, right? Like should brands lead that discussion and pull people along? Or do brands say, no, 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 this is, we're deodorant. I don't know, do you think brands have a role or anything? No, it's not our, our place. I think both companies and brands can definitely bring topics to the mainstream. And at Unilever, we recognize that we actually have an important role to play to ensure we are not misrepresenting our core consumer. And I think therefore, uh, our new point of view is a little less exaggerated and a more real reflection of the guys today. It talks to our core mission of uh, helping break this uh, cycle of toxic masculinity. And that's a key mission for us at Axe, by showing guys that there is no there is no one way to be a man. You use the phrase toxic masculinity. So is that... Um... Do you now feel, is there any guilt within the organization of like, oh, there's this thing that was toxic masculinity and we kind of contributed to that before? I don't think we have contributed to that in any way. Uh, in fact, we are actually very proud of what we've done during that time to help yeah. them feel more confident. Yeah. And as masculinity is evolving, uh, we are also changing the way we look at confidence for our guy. Look, to Axe's credit, they could have just as easily have doubled down because the reality is there's still an audience for their initial campaigns. You you know that there are men out there who are going, there's no way that a guy should ask, is it okay for a guy to kiss another guy? Are you afraid of alienating any of that? Of the people who were attracted to the previous and traditional definition of masculinity who now look at your work and go, well, screw you. I'm not buying your product anymore because I that that's not, I don't agree with that. Some guys may disagree with asking whether it's okay to kiss another guy. And if that's how they feel and that's how they express themselves, then that's perfectly valid because that's how they feel and what they stand for. And that's a belief that they should express all the while if that's what they believe in. Um, that doesn't take away from the fact that somebody else may have that question. So these can coexist uh, simply because of the fact that as human beings, as individuals, we are very different. Yeah. So you're not taking a social stand on, you're not saying we have a more progressive definition of masculinity. We're just refusing to define it. Is that fair? What we are saying is everyone should be free to express what they mean. It's not an easy time to necessarily navigate with the, with the amount of and the frequency of changes that are coming in. And I think it's therefore very important as a brand um, to stay authentic and to stay culturally relevant. And I think we'll start to see a shift in this kind of brand positioning and less of focus on gender, perhaps overall. It's more about self-expression. And Pranav isn't alone in thinking that we'll be focusing less on gender in the future. And look, can I just say, I, I really do appreciate Pranav having this conversation with me. Clearly, he had some talking points, but hey, I get it. It can be risky to speak about these things when you're a publicly traded billion dollar corporation. Okay, let's step back for a minute. It may be hard to tell where exactly the rebranding of masculinity ends and its true evolution begins. But what's certainly changing and fast is our culture's expectations of men. So what exactly has that shift meant for business? 
And do companies have a responsibility to lead these conversations or follow them? I'm Sarah Kaplan. I'm a professor of strategic management and the director for the Institute for Gender and the Economy at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. In 2016, it was exactly 30 years since I had started working out of university. And everyone said my generation, me and my three sisters, just by dint of the pipeline, we were going to change society so that 30 years later, things were going to be equal. And we, there aren't. We made great progress in the 60s and 70s because of the women's liberation movement. 80s and 90s, since then, we've stalemated. And I thought, okay, how can I take this searing anger and do something really productive with it? Well, I'm at a research institution, so I just went and started the institute. And what I'm trying to do is bring our models and ways of thinking about innovation to making change on gender equality, because clearly the progress we've been making so far hasn't been enough, and we need new ways of thinking. In a recent interview with The Globe and Mail, the Royal Bank of Canada's board chair and former CEO of Four Seasons Hotels, Kathleen Taylor, said, quote, Modern day business was invented in the post-war era by men for men. She continues, that's not nefarious or negative. It's just a fact of life. And while the advertising industry today doesn't exactly look like a scene out of Mad Men, the reality is what we create is a product of our culture. There are still boys clubs, unequal pay, and I'm going to guess that despite your company's accepting environment, it would be an event if Jack, your male CMO, came in today wearing a pencil skirt. Right? Thought so. This past April, The Guardian looked into how Me Too has impacted the ad industry, and while the work produced by it is changing rapidly, the in-house reality is less progressive. Only 12% of creative directors are women. But it's not without pushback. In 2018, WACL, Women in Advertising and Communications, was launched and has since produced a code of conduct that has been endorsed by 180 companies. But even with these gestures, gender continues to play a big role in the trajectory of people's careers. So for the last few years, Sarah and the Institute have been working to address gender inequality in business by calling out double standards in the workplace and challenging gender representation in branding and marketing. Unlike here in Canada, Sarah says corporations in the U.S. are vocal when it comes to making progress on the issues. One thing we are clearly seeing is that whether it's gender equality or climate change, that we see the corporate standing up and saying, the U.S. wants out of the climate accord, the Paris Climate Accord. We're sticking with it. But I think we need more of that in Canada. Is business further along in the equality discussion than other aspects of our personal lives, than politics or than lifestyle or, or uh, you know, child raising? I think business in Canada is very conservative. I think there's a lot of goodwill, but I'm not sure we're very far ahead. For example, major corporates have policies that men can take parental leave. Like mm. almost every larger corporation has a policy like that. But then when the man goes and asks his supervisor, you know, I want to take six months or I want to take three months, there's a lot of pressure around this is going to derail your career. And so even if the policy is on the books, I don't think we've moved the needle in terms of corporate behavior, in part because we feel like those pressures are causing men to not be able to engage in co-parenting or sharing work at home. Part of my job, I feel like, is to provoke the corporates into taking much bolder action than they're taking. 
More companies and creatives are trying to make statements and take Canadian business in a more progressive direction. But Sarah thinks there's still work to be done when it comes to companies aligning what they say with what they do. Of course, we have to keep in mind that advertisers are trying to sell product. Oh, but, sure, yeah. But, you know, some of the women's ads, like the Dove campaign ad where they asked women to describe themselves to a sketch artist mm-hmm. and then someone else describe, and you see the difference, yeah. right? Those ads have been, you know, emotional Uh, resonate with people. And I think that they can be very powerful. The ad Sarah's referencing is from Dove's Real Beauty campaign. It was released in 2013 and it went viral overnight, which was still pretty rare accomplishment at that time. It featured a dozen or so women describing what they looked like while an FBI-trained forensic artist sitting behind a partition drew them twice. First, based on their own descriptions, and then again, based on the descriptions of a stranger. At the end, each woman was shown both portraits. She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm-hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm-hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices in the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. And though many found the message moving, this is a business. And for most of these companies, the sale still comes first, even if achieving it means contradicting its socially conscious campaign. The Dove ads with all the different women's bodies of different shapes and sizes, that was coupled with an ad for a product for cellulite reduction, right? And, you know, so there's still, it's still commodifying beauty as the most important thing we can say about women, right? So I think, and that, you know, Andy Zeisler, who uh, wrote this great book, We Were Feminists Once, has this very clear critique of that sort of uh, capitalist feminism, uh, marketplace feminism, that's basically co-opting feminism as individual choice to sell products, you know. It gets more interesting when we start to see the ads kind of moving towards um, opening up the menu for men in terms of their behavior. But Sarah says companies don't need to take huge stands with their ads like Gillette or Nike, even making simple creative changes like switching up who's cast in commercials for commonly gendered products can be powerful. You know, just an ad for laundry detergent where it's the guy doing the laundry, you know, it's the guy picking up after the kids. It's not like making a big deal. It's not even calling out masculinity like can men do this or that. It's just an ad for laundry detergent and the dude is doing the laundry. You know, it's been said that advertising just reflects the kind of the zeitgeist of what what is there. And so the advertising isn't responsible in in any way. Should it be? I mean, should advertising be leading society to in progress? Well, we know for sure that as a society, we agree that advertising shouldn't be done for evil. So, for example, in Quebec, they banned advertising of fast food and stuff to children of a certain age, you know, so you can't have like happy meals that attract children to eat McDonald's. And we know the results show that there were all these health benefits to banning advertising. As a society, we have agreed advertising has a social role to play because we tell advertisers they can't advertise certain things. So can it also have a role in promoting social change? I think so. And I think we know that from very important ad campaigns, like If You Let Me Play, which was Nike's ad campaign. And today, if you go onto YouTube and you look at the comments today 
from 15 and 16 year olds saying that ad made me know I could try out for track. If you let me play, I'll be 60% less likely to get breast cancer. I will suffer less depression. If you let me play sports, I will be more likely to leave a man who beats if you me. Let me play, I'll be less likely And to get it pregnant. came on the heels of, in the United States, Title IX legislation, which meant that, you know, schools had to equally fund boys and girls sports and things like that. So that had a role in social change. And it's a fine line. But whether or not these companies try to make a statement, their work still affects the culture. But if socially conscious ads are going viral, if they're starting to create buzz around important issues and the brands that highlight them, then why aren't we seeing more work like it? She breaks it down this way. In the eyes of us advertisers and creatives, what blocks edgy progressive work is the suits in the executive suite. But she says that's only one side of the story. Sometimes the call is coming from inside the agency and progress doesn't get past the biases in the creative department. I would still go back to the ad people and say, what is the mindset, the lens, the frame that you use to think about calculating value that tells you that it's better to have a whole bunch of like busty women in your beer commercial as opposed to men and women equally having fun watching a game, mm -hmm. right? You know, like what is the calculation in your brain that made you think that that makes sense, yeah. right? Because I think the people who claim that it's a shareholder are not questioning the frames that they bring, the stereotypes and the frames that they are bringing to what is valuable. We also have to recognize that in our society, we are all socialized, men, women, people of any gender, into certain understandings and expectations, right? We've all been socialized into the same society. So I think also we have to have organizations to work to, you know, sort of do anti-oppression training, like really think about those gender norms and social structures, like get real training, not diversity training, what is my implicit bias, but really like how you can uncover these gender norms and think about them differently. The thing is, doing the unglamorous work of figuring out whether you do or don't meet the standards you're advertising is what'll help you make more meaningful and effective work. And if you skip that part, well, you'll have what I call an integrity gap, when your actions contradict what you supposedly stand for. If you just try to launch products at women without changing your practices inside your organization, you're going to fail. And so I think companies are starting to understand you can't market separate from what your organization represents. Yeah. So Sarah and the Institute are tackling the organizational end of this problem. But when it comes to reaching everyday men and improving the masculinity they're presented, well, who's doing that work? For the last two decades, Gary Barker has been looking at how expressions of manhood are shifting on a global level. He works with brands to authentically connect with men in a time when many feel bombarded by criticisms of masculinity. I'm the founder and executive director of Promundo, and we've been working 20 years at trying to change narratives around masculinities. As the founder, what was the inspiration behind you saying, this is what I'm going to do with my time? Um, you know, I, I mean, I started my career working on HIV and working on reproductive health and rights, how to, you know, promote healthier sexuality with young people. 
And that conversation was so much about the harm of men, whether it was sexual exploitation or not using condoms and fill in the blank. And there was so little discussion about could we, you know, could we make men better? Um, so it was so obvious to me as a man in mostly women's spaces in my career that um, if we didn't come up with a better narrative around men for this, we were just kind of going in circles. Recently, Gary worked with Axe, along with other men's product companies, to overhaul the way they speak to and about men, which honestly kind of surprised me. You partnered with Axe to make the Is It Okay for Guys 2 spot. And um, I mean, why, why did you want to be part of that project? I mean, for many years, Axe was the enemy in some cases, weren't they? I mean, you know, if you've been alive in the last 40 years, you've seen one of their ads, you know, of a guy sprays on Axer links and 20 women run his way. You know, I mean, we've been laughing for a long time of, you know, that never worked for me. Did that ever work in the history of mankind? Um, you know, so one of the, the issues is that you guys are doing something wrong here. On the other hand, we've all seen that ad or one version of that, right? So we've been doing our work in school systems and getting governments on board in Brazil and Chile and, you know, great to get this into after school programming or to get our materials taken up by a national AIDS program. But then look at the numbers that Axe reaches. So when they showed a willingness to say, we know something about that old style isn't quite working, we thought, hey, if you guys are genuine about this and you really want to take on masculinity, we're with you, of course. I mean, and, and try having that conversation with a 17-year-old of why this is the right thing to do <laughs> versus Axe that comes with why this is the cool thing to do. And Gary says he's had to figure out how to frame these conversations for the men in Axe's audience so they'll actually want to listen. So much of where we come into the field, and it will keep coming this way, comes in from a feminist and women's rights approach. And that's where we started. Um, but I think we've got to figure out a way that doesn't say your version of manhood doesn't work, whether we call that toxic masculinity or whatever, men immediately get defensive. And that's a huge, you know, this Me Too moment is about a lot of men being very defensive. And if the discourse is men cause harm, lots of men are going to immediately get our neck up and say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't necessarily speak for me. And so I think, you know, where this turns us is a conversation that says, I think you mean well to those around you. Um, and I think, you know, this is something that you worry about on a daily basis rather than you're a problem walking around waiting to happen. I've got your attention. And I think that's where acts, they're trying to sell a product that connects with who you want to be. Especially since Me Too began, we continue to hear stories from people, including men, who've been harmed by misogyny and abuse from men. And we have to continue to grapple with these experiences and the culture that enables them. And unfortunately, this is also a time where many boys and men, whether it's right or not, feel judged for other men's behavior and fearful and angry because of it. So the most important question for me isn't, are these feelings fair? It's, how do we reach these people? And who is while the rest of us try to figure it out? This ongoing war against masculinity, driven by radical feminists, right? Who basically want to expunge men and masculinity yeah. from the world. It's not working, though, is it? Uh, Ashid is working. Here's a rule. Don't, don't How about no makeup in the workplace? My answer is something called science. Human life exists at conception. It ought to be protected. Now, back to my question to I'm you. I'm going to keep being remarkably offensive because I'm just really talking the way you talk, but I'm not being shy about it. 
Piers Morgan, Ben Shapiro, and the rest of those guys, look, they're filling a void that we helped create through their podcasts, Reddit, or the national news. They're reaching many of the boys that today's mainstream media has left feeling alienated. And they're making a lot of money doing it. And it makes sense. Because a lot of what they give men are just easy answers to complex issues. Nothing is your fault. You are not part of the problem. But we are. And this pushback isn't only in North America. We're seeing a huge backlash toward feminism around a lot of men. A real man does this, and this is the box he's in, and the wave of authoritarian governments across parts of Europe, Brazil, where Promundo started, you know, that tough guy version of manhood is making a strong resurgence because it falls back into an absolute in a moment where I don't know where the world's going. This is something I can fall back on. Men should just be dot, 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 what they used to be. But Gary says the way we respond to this moment could look a lot different if high profile men who are accused of misconduct and assault, like now Supreme Court Chief Justice Brett Kavanaugh, respond differently. You know, Kavanaugh in the U.S. has got, you know, he went out on the defensive saying, no, I didn't do any of that. When what would the conversation have been like of going, you know, 17, 18, 19, early 20s, got drunk now and then. Do I remember everything I did? Nope. Do I, did I assault? I certainly hope not. Never came back to me that I did. Did I say or do stupid things? Probably so. How can we work to be better men? I mean, it just, you know, rather than there's somehow this line in the sand or in the middle of the street that says, okay, all the men who have never done anything on this side and all the men on, you know, on this side who have done something that they deserve a gotcha. It's just, it's not a very useful, it's not a line that we could draw. (laughs) Let's acknowledge how deep this is, how ingrained it is, and, you know, have that conversation and call out the men who have caused, who are causing harm. We, we have to call some men out. But I think we haven't done the other part, which is how do I call all men? How do we call all men into a conversation that says we're, we're better than this? This is not the only story about our lives. How do we, how do we pull that out of men? Where's that huddle, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In recent years, advertisers have told women and girls that they can be strong and beautiful, that they can do anything. And when it comes to messaging directed at the average guy, they've been telling them that it's okay to have traditionally feminine traits, that if you're into fashion, if you wear makeup, if you cry, if you like men, you're still a quote unquote man. I mean, it's not like we ever got a you go guy campaign. And really? Why would we have thought boys needed that? Men and boys historically have been given more encouragement, more opportunities, and more power. And it's only in the last few decades, and especially in this era of Me Too, that things we have not taught and given to boys have become glaringly obvious. And is that an accurate way to say it, do you think? Is like, man, you can be feminine too? That That's accurate. But that's not going to get us many followers. Um, so, I, you know, I think what I'd rather, you know, thinking of the, using your metaphor of the coup, I think what we want to do is sort of, you know, ex- explode um, the old regime that says, actually, these are human qualities and I'm allowed to be that, too. So I think, you know, we've not written those new scripts for our sons the same way that we spent a lot of years 
writing new scripts for our daughters. We're not done, clearly, but I think we've not put as much energy into saying, what is this positive, healthy, caring, loving masculinity, and how do we brand the hell out of that so it feel so it you know it can run up against the tough guy masculinity that's still got you know millions of followers and lots of ad revenue behind it? I don't think we're going to get a lot of followers if we frame it as now you can be feminine. Um, I think what we want to say is the repertoire of what it means to be a man is far bigger, broader, and richer and deeper than you've been told most of your life. In 2007, the New York office of EuroRSCG, my previous agency, now known as Havas, developed an ad campaign that changed the way brands market to men. The police often question him just because they find him interesting. His beard alone has experienced more than a lesser man's entire body. His blood smells like cologne. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't always drink beer. Dos Equis' most interesting man in the world campaign treated beer and the men who drank it with a sophistication that was both sincere and absolutely comical. Before coming up with the idea, Euro did some audience research that told us a big group of men weren't connecting with the traditional beer campaigns. They didn't see themselves as the buff guy with a woman on both arms or the belligerent fan. When men were asked how they wanted to be represented, it wasn't as a ladies' man or as an athlete. They just wanted to be seen as interesting for people and especially women to see them as men worth getting to know. Before it debuted, Big Beer was really only a few recycled scripts. Bros at the game, bros on the couch watching the game, or for the risk takers, bros at a party with fawning women with the game in the background. But besides unpredictable creative, Gary says, the beer brands have been responsible for normalizing harmful behavior. I think... You know, some of the holdouts around beer and alcoholic beverages could slowly acknowledge their years of, you know, having been part of a script that men try to get a potential female partner inebriated so that they could atone. But I would be happy if they would just step into a a kind of healthy, positive messaging around consent that women have as much sexual drive as men do, get out of a notion that men are the predators and women are the prey. Um, I think they've got a lot of work to do. It's not just beer brands. Gary says there's room for improvement in every sector. I see a few of the car brands getting it, you know, and particularly it's often dad is teaching daughter how to drive, which I'm, I'm cool with that. They could flip that one around and have mom teaching son how to drive. And then, then there's our big tech companies who kind of pretend they get it, but internally it's a boys club at the top of those. And Promundo's approach to promoting healthy masculinity goes well beyond branding. We're also partnering now with the Dove Men Plus Care side of things at Unilever. And, you know, first conversation is they were trying to use that brand to talk more about men's caregiving and coming on board parental leave was to say, and what do you guys have in-house? And, uh, you know, a kind of very quick, oh, we need to get, you know, approval from on high that we need equitable and expanded parental leave we're a global corporation. How can we go out and say we want parental leave in country X if we haven't looked internally? So I think that coherence has got to be really, really clear 
Um, because today's consumers were not just swayed by that was a cool little jingle with a cool celebrity. And this, do you think this is the power that business has? Like, if I come in as Unilever and say, well, we don't care what the legislation says, any man that works for Unilever can take six months off as a pat leave. So do you think that's the power of business, that business can actually drive this new definition of masculinity better than government and public policy? I wouldn't say better. I would say both and. What We will praise you corporations when you're on the side, but I think we also have to say it's been corporations, chambers of commerce, restaurant owners, associations, et cetera. We've been on the front line of pushing for equitable and expanded parental leave here in Washington, D.C. and in Brazil, where we started in lots of other countries. The main opposition most of the time has been the corporate sector. So, you know, I think it's both. I'm not going to want to work with a corporate sector partner who says, well, we're promoting it for our workers, but, you know, we're not going to sign on to a 1% because that's about what it costs, a 1% or less payroll tax that makes it a universal good. So, you know, I think to say, hey, I want you to be a corporate citizen, but you don't get to choose, you know, you can't say I only want it for my 2000 workers. Over the next five years, what do, what do you think is imperative that advertisers focus on for gender marketing? I think showing the fact that men already do and know this stuff You know, we believe in women's equality, even if, you know, a lot of guys still believe in the tough guy version. There's a huge wave of acceptance toward multiple ways that men can express their sexuality, not just, you know, same sex, showing vulnerability. You know, not the kind of bumbling, stupid man stuff. So, hey, if women are in charge, the world would all be great. And men are just kind of bumbling idiots that the most we can do is ship them off to another planet. That's not going to work. That's funny for about two seconds, but then men say, well, that's not me. And so I think something that kind of assumes that we are caring, empathetic, capable of loving, dying to be loved (laughs) and be cared for, you know, I think stuff that grapples with that. Toxic masculinity is just one term to talk about behaviors connected to manhood that no longer serve us. What's more interesting to me is pinning down the conversations and actions that will create a more flexible, compassionate, and respectful version of masculinity that does, in fact, serve us. Look, Gillette's ad wasn't perfect, but it made us talk about all this more. Whether it's in the ads we're making, or in our agencies, and really just in general, as men, I think it's important to implicate ourselves in these conversations about sexism and harassment. Because even if we can say that we haven't harassed, can we also say that we've done everything we could to challenge other men around us who have? No, not always. Of course, we can't know everything and we're going to mess up. It's inevitable. But I think we can all get a bit better at listening to the people around us when they say something doesn't sit right or that we're missing the mark especially when those people aren't our usual go-to white guys. No offense, uh, fellow white guys. But we have blind spots, and we need to stop pretending that we don't. A lot of men are putting up a good fight to defend traditional manliness, while many people and companies challenge its rigidity. But while some are holding the fort of masculinity as it crumbles, some are trying to build a new one. And it looks like there's a ton of room inside. Join me, won't you?
I'd like to thank our guests, Pranav Chandan, Sarah Kaplan, and Gary Barker. This episode was produced by Julia De Laurentiis Johnson and was written by Ali Graham with editorial support from Abby Madan. And it was mixed by Chandra Bullockon. Thanks also to Chris Connolly, who provided production and editorial assistance. Original theme music is by the great Jim Guthrie, and additional music is by the Blue Dot Sessions and Artlist. The Coup is made by Church and State Podcasts for the Rogers Frequency Podcast Network. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and if you know anyone who might like it, let them know. I'm your host and executive producer, Ron Tite. See you next time on The Coup. Try to forget about the other kids.